This is CyberSound, your simplified and fundamentals-focused source for all things cybersecurity, with your hosts, Jason Pufall and Stephen Mareska. Hi, everybody. Welcome to CyberSound. I'm your host, Jason Pufall. Uh, joining me today, as always, Steve Mareska and Matt Fasaro. Hey, guys. Hey there. Hi. So we're going to kind of roll back a little bit with some cyber liability insurance discussion. Um, in particular, you know, we're seeing... Uh, our clients come to us now with more stringent requirements uh, for policy renewals in some cases, or even new policies, right? And I think, you know, last year we touched a little bit on the fact that uh, insurance carriers were, you know, frankly, sort of bemoaning the fact that they had uh, really not adequately planned for the severity of ransomware. Uh, and I think, you know, their costs are higher, and as you would expect, right? Costs and and sort of some requirements changes are being passed down to clients. So I think I want I wanted to cover that a little bit today because I think it's important for people to be able to plan for the upcoming year, right? A lot of policies we're seeing are probably coming due for renewal in that you know, June, July timeframe. Um, the control requirements are becoming much more stringent than they were. And I think the, you know, the landscape's changing to some degree. So you know, we wanted to cover that a little bit so people could prepare for the upcoming year. Um, you know, in particular, I think... You know, we're seeing certain industries uh, even you know being being more being less attractive to some degree to these carriers, right? I think Steve, you and I, you were chatting about that a little bit here at the beginning um, around you know maybe higher ed even you know due to the way it's it's open uh, being a challenge. Right. I think insurers in, in general are are reevaluating the risk of certain verticals and treating them appropriately. Um, Higher ed sort of a case in point that's a little unique. It's open. It's not corporate. Things are not locked down. Therefore, you know, it represents a higher risk. Um, but, you know, there are certainly carriers for every organization. They still exist. It's just a matter of recognizing that things are, are changing from the way they used to be. The biggest thing that, you know, most of our uh, our customers tend to observe is that the the carrier insurance prices are going up. Uh, you know, premiums are 300, 400% higher than they used oh, to be. Yeah. It's the most apparent issue. But, you know, I think all the other subjects we'd like to talk about today are what is coupled with that change in price. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely looking to claw back some of the, <laughs> maybe the losses they've taken. They had a pretty toxic pool of uh, clients out there that probably drained them, right? They don't think they were prepared at all for how unprepared a lot of these organizations were for any type of cyber attack. And they've just gotten worse, right, and more prevalent. And as you'd expect, you know, we're seeing a, a shift in conversations with people as they're trying to reinsure themselves and uh, find new policies, control their costs. And, you know, the, the truth is that it's moving the other direction. Yeah, right. that, that, there's no, I mean, there's no surprise here, right? I mean, we're seeing these common controls that we're going to talk about, um, as being real gaps. Every time that we've done incident response, it's a really consistent theme uh, on the uh, sort of the back end of these around you know, what controls were missing. And it's almost always the same ones, poor backups, you know, lack of two-factor, lack of patching. And you know, we're really seeing a push now to standardize and formalize a, a, a more mature security approach. And that's really all this is. Right? I don't, right. On the one hand, sure, your premiums are going up and they're being a little more stringent. Um, everything on this list is reasonable, right? Everything everything on this list are things that people should be doing. I think the most interesting thing is that carriers are taking a far more active role in ensuring that their risk and the risk of their experience by their customers is more controllable. Uh, historically, you know, you sign up for a policy, 
it gets inked, you're, you're done. That's it. Now requirements are being imposed that prior to the policy origination date, certain minimum thresholds need to be met. Now, you know, the most common because the attacks we've seen and they've uh, paid to correct over the last two years have been primarily driven by identity theft, right. primarily right. driven by loss of credentials that allowed access to environments. So top of the list is multi-factor or two-factor authentication. That, that, that's an absolute requirement for most of these insurers. Um, so dig into that for a second though, right? Because you know, two-factor means different things to different it, it people. And, and they're being pretty specific about where two-factor needs to be enabled. Right. It, and generally speaking, it's for VPN access, remote access to environments. But more generally, you know, that that's not descriptive of every organization these days. The other requirement is applying multi-factor to email and similar services of that nature. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some carriers that want it on every uh, every external, uh, externally accessible service you need to have it on. And then even internally now, they're asking for it, especially if you're an admin. Right. People with access to sensitive information, uh, customer information, regulated data, those are the scenarios beyond mere remote access where multi-factor is likely to arise. But that might be a case-by-case scenario depending upon the type of business. Yeah, I think it'll have a big impact anyway. And I'd say almost 100% of our incidents were with clients that had no multi-factor right. implementation. I'm, I'm not sure if I can even name one of them. Yeah, yeah I, o- I overly, overly permissive external access and no yep. two-factor. Right? I mean, it's just a, a common theme. Right. right. I mean, it's a net improvement to make many of these requirements. I, I think it's reasonable. We make these uh, suggestions constantly with our customers. And I see that overall, this is a net positive. It's just costly for those who are experiencing right. the, the need to renew a policy. Sure. Um, so certainly, you know, MFA being one, uh, I think the other is you know, more stringent controls and requirements for robust backups, right? I mean, the, a, a huge issue has been the lack of, uh, you know, disaster recovery planning, uh, good backup capabilities, right? And I think they're really, they're now they're, they're mandating now certain, certain timeframes for which you need to keep data and the way you actually control it. Yeah, I mean, even more critical than that, simply having offsite backups, right? Encrypted backups, a, a backup for the backup, essentially, uh, ransomware incidents involve attacks against backup infrastructure, and I think that's the primary thing that they're trying to control. Um, the business restoration, it, you know, factors into many cyber liability insurance policies. It's a covered component. Therefore, the timeframes that we're talking about from a restoration standpoint from backup infrastructure, that's what they're trying to, you know, facilitate in terms of uh, lowering the cost for recovery activity. Right. And all, all these recommendations really are are looking to reduce that, right? The, the time it takes and the amount of money that they're going to have to eventually cover for an incident. Yeah. And, and they've got data now. You know, they they yep. know that you know, typically when you're restoring, you're probably going back, you know, around a month for some of the data. Yep. And how often do we get involved in an incident where either A, the backups weren't adequately tested, so they don't even know that they have good quality data, or B, you know, they've got seven days to go back. And, you know, that isn't far enough to get outside of that, you know, ransomware event or incident event that they're occurring. Yeah. And, and if they're they're going to go down the forensics route where, you know, if they have to decide if uh, credit monitoring or data disclosure has to happen, you know, they, they want to be able to go back into logs of systems that may go back further, right? So having those backups available helps you with that. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. You know, an interesting component to this beyond backup is that uh, carriers are trying to measure risk yep. as well. And I think it's sort of the other end of what you just articulated in terms of notification. Ultimately, prior to policy origination, prior to the actual conversation moving into the contract creation phase, some insurers are actually proactively scanning yep. uh, customers before issuing that policy. So it, they have a sense of uh, external exposure to the world so that they can make requirements that are very unambiguous and clear um, to those prospective customers. I think it's a very, very unique change and, and worthy of um, being mentioned because I don't think many organizations are aware of it. Uh, so I, I like the word unambiguous. I think unambiguous to you, but probably <laughs> ambiguous to the recipient at times, right? Because I know that we had one where, if I recall, the recommendation was you reset your Kerberos ticket for Active Directory. And I think that might make a lot of sense to you. I think they, you know, people require you to translate to them, perhaps. Uh, unambiguous to organizations with IT that's actually fair. on staff, right? Um, but, but very specific nonetheless, right. right? I mean, doing a scan and identifying a gap that they know will contribute to an incident if not addressed. So, Absolutely. Um, the, I think the other place that they're really now pushing is you know, EDR, endpoint detection response, or you know, MDR, the sort of the managed side of that. Um, you know, modern day antivirus. Uh, you know, huge changes there. And I, I think that translates to changes from a uh, budgetary perspective. Th this is one of those occasions where in order to meet the insurer requirements, you as an organization may need to replace something that's already present. Uh, traditional antivirus does not meet the threshold of an EDR, endpoint detection response. It Effectively, insurers want to see these protective facilities in place across workstations and servers where they tend to be absent. And the thresholds are, you know, 95% of systems, 100% of systems. We've, we've seen a variety, but the point is ultimately comprehensive defensive facilities in place. And uh, that might mean shifting from something that's been in place for a decade. Right. I, th I think they're really going after the, the behavior uh, right. detection, right? They, most of the malware that we see now, you might get a detection from a traditional AV. They're, they're more concerned about attacker behavior, trying to detect those things, uh, possibly even having data to go back to to look and see what systems they've touched, right? Because uh, that's going to play into how that policy actually gets covered or not. Um, and again, but moving data out of the organization, which is something you know they're, they're going to be concerned about. Uh, if an EDR isn't there, you're not going to get that kind of data or detections. Right. This, this actually goes back to multi-factor, candidly, again, stressing the point that identity is the mechanism for most attacks these days. Yep. Similarly, use of authorized capabilities of a user stolen by an attacker is only really um, easy to detect, easy to analyze if you have a tool like EDR platforms in place. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the key there, right? Most of the activities that are going to happen that are going to affect an organization are authorized activity, right? Copying a file out. That's something we allow most users to do, right? The you know the, the word that you used a second ago was you know demonstrable, right? You know, you know, ninety-five to one hundred percent deployment for these tools, but they want you to be able to show evidence that you actually have done it. So it's not enough to say, "Well, I purchased you know, a binary defense and deployed it." Like you need to show that you actually deployed that to servers and endpoints and have adequate coverage. Uh, it, you know, and, and they want that proof if they're going to you know honor a claim. 
absolutely. And and frankly, you're talking about demonstrable proof, um, attestation of actual practice. It's a reasonable segue into one of the other requirements, which is the fact that they want to see rigorous process and evidence that that process is documented and being followed on a regular basis. An example, uh, you know, as a case in point, would be uh, vulnerability management practices, measuring risk on a cyclical basis, fixing issues with corrective actions to either, you know, patch or, or remove an issue from the environment. If, if an organization can't point to an actual process and documentation that it's occurring, it's also another black right. mark. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to talk for a second about how, how difficult this might be for some organizations. There wasn't really a lot of notification that went out about this. Oh, yeah, right? I mean, honestly, almost none. Yeah. It's a surprise at, at the renewal time frame. It comes out of the business office. It, no one really knew that that type of thing was a requirement. And exactly. IT departments are scrambling to catch up. Yeah, I mean, when we look at compliances for government, for example, this stuff is communicated way in advance and sometimes doesn't even come to fruition, right? This kind of came out of nowhere. I think a lot of people are caught off guard completely that they've got to do these things and they're, they're not really given a huge time frame to actually right. accomplish any of this either. Um, depending on the size of your organization, it might be simple to say, well, let's deploy EDR and multi-factor, right? You're, you might be looking at months worth of could work be. to actually get that accomplished. We're talking about culture changes, so this is going to be very challenging for a lot of organizations to actually meet. And the, and the requirements, they're not consistent for every right. insurance carrier. Right? So it's not like you can say, all right, do these four things. You know, we, we can't sit here on this podcast and say, do these four things. And when renewal time comes up, you're set because they're, they are variable to some degree. And carrier by carrier, uh, there, there's sort of you know, differences and gaps in what they want. Yeah, there is no standard they're going by. The, right. the, I mean, from what we've seen, they've actually taken recommendations in from third-party companies uh, and then adopted that framework and said, okay, this is what we're going to go with. Right. Right. Um, but, you know, in a, in a large part, uh, if organizations decided to adopt some sort of security standard, all of these do align to your, your typical right. security standard framework. So I, I you, at the barest minimum of the most basic here, you are seeing this sort of underlying here are common controls that you need to implement, you know, sort of that security fundamentals concept that make your security program more robust and reduce the risk of incidents. And whether it's simply doing what the insurance carriers tell you, or maybe you're know, aligning to a more specific standard like, you know, NIST 800 or something like that, you're going to then have a better security program, which reduces risk. This is ultimately what they're trying to do. And certainly we support that as an outcome. I think that it just, it's worthy of, uh, it's it's a required recognition that this type of activity requires time. It's probably occurring on a time frame which is more aggressive than organizations would prefer. And the capital outlay is uh, not insignificant for many orgs um, associated with the, the staffing and, and service requirements to actually deploy these things and support them properly. Yeah, these requirements are coming down on companies that have no IT sometimes. Right. Right. It's they've either outsourced it or they've they've got a guy, right? <laughs> right. The uh it, the we've joked in the past a little bit about people treating a, a insurance policy as a substitute for a good security program. Right. And I think the carriers are finally saying, listen, that you know, that's no longer acceptable. You need to meet meet some minimum security standards. Um you uh, I'm staring at three pages worth of notes here from one client of ours and their insurance carrier saying, these are the things you want to implement. So we, we truly talked about those things on the page marked high. 
you know, there's there's a medium risk page, a low risk page. Uh, there's a lot of requirements that people have to start thinking about with this. And, you know, I, I guess I would ask people, you know, use this podcast essentially as being put on notice that you probably have some increased requirements moving forward. Uh, those requirements, quite frankly, from our standpoint, are are kind of all security best practices. They're things we would want to see in place anyway. And most significant contributors to the incidents that we've been involved in, without a doubt. Um, to touch on them briefly, it's you know implementing multi-factor in a variety of locations. It's utilizing an uh, EDR system, right, to, to that, that next generation of antivirus, um, ensuring that you've got good quality backups, and of course, making sure, as always, that you're dealing with patches and vulnerability management. I mean, there are things you should be doing, but it, it, and if you're not, they're they're likely going to limit your ability to get a policy, either a new one or a renewal. Um, but I think people also have to understand, you know, going forward, insurance is going to be more expensive. And in order to actually make a claim and have that claim honored, you're going to have to meet some of these things. Um, I think as a follow-up, you know, as you're going through this process, you know, feel free to you know reach out to us if you want to chat about this anymore. We can provide probably a lot of clarity on different ways clients have implemented some of these controls, uh, different things you need to think about as you're working through a project and how to actually make them sort of you know, go as smoothly as you can. Multi-factor isn't a wildly difficult technical concept, uh, but you know, it requires planning and, and time to roll it out successfully. So you know, we're happy to have those conversations. Feel free to reach out to us uh, on Twitter uh, or LinkedIn at Vancourt or Vancourt Security, and we can chat more about it. Uh, Steve, it looks like in closing, you might have something you want to say. Yeah, I, I think that it's important to remember that when you're working with insurers and carriers and underwriters, uh, it's a conversation. Right. Um, use a broker. They will help you find a carrier that meets your business and the flexibility required. Similarly, look for those that reach out and have a dialogue with you. Um when you're engaging an insurer, they should supply a questionnaire or something to that effect. There, it's a bi-directional conversation, and that will enable the best possible premium and the most attuned policy uh, that meets the needs of the organization. I think that's the most important thing to close with, in my opinion. Yeah, so actually, I'm going to add to that just really quickly, which is find a carrier that's flexible enough to let you use a security vendor that you're comfortable with. Uh, we've certainly seen a lot of carriers require that you go with people around their panels. And, and in some cases, that's fine. But the reality is you may have a security vendor that you work with regularly who's familiar with your environment, frankly, can probably expedite the recovery or you know, the containment, the restoration, right? all the activities around incident response. Um, work ahead of time with your carrier to ensure that you can work with the partner of your choice. Uh, some were, some are, much more, are much easier to, to work with than others. But I think that's something to your point, Steve. You know, with all insurance, just flexibility up front to negotiate how you want that insurance to work. Um, give thought to that. And again, you know, we've got experience there and happy to, to chat with people about it. So, um, well, on that, as always, we're, we hope you got value from this. Um, we hope that you're thinking a little bit about you know, cyber liability insurance in general and certainly you know, preparing for the, that renewal process and some of the, the requirements that you have uh, ongoing. Uh, thanks, everybody, and uh, have a good day. Stay vigilant. Stay resilient. This has been CyberSound.